0: So yeah, one of the things we did notice, like, you know, talking of um, the inclusion of some of these really um, ancient words in your lyrics, was that, uh, you know, f- for starters, um, we did notice some patterns in terms of how much, uh, you know, Shawnee and perhaps Lenope um, language is used in the lyrics. Um, so as you mentioned earlier, you know, um, on Otto, there are like four of the five non-instrumental tracks that feature, um, you know, Shawnee or uh, Lenope lines. Uh, and they're mm-hmm. full lines, as you said. Um, and... Uh, four out of the five non-instrumental song titles are also in those languages. Um, but then we notice that, um, you know, when you get to uh, the heart of um, Akman, um there are Slightly fewer. I think two out of the eight songs have Shawnee titles, and two tracks have um, just a couple of Shawnee lines. And then songs from your split release with Panopticon um, include, um, I think, only a couple of words that are non-English in the Red Road. And then yeah. yourself, your latest release are almost entirely English medium, if I'm not mistaken, um, with only one part of uh, the um, one of the lines from the song uh, Kanawa Black written uh, in uh Shawnee or Lenope um did you consciously reduce the number of um Shawnee uh, or Lenope words um in your lyrics over time or um was this just something that happened with the yeah was it more natural
1: I think it was more natural um I think a a couple things is that I didn't want to be pigeonholed is yeah oh that's that's that band that they, they do the Indian stuff or whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want it to become like, a a thing that we had to rely on or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, more, more realistically, what had happened out is I was, I was talking to a lot of people in that language at the time and, uh, some things fell through with that group. Uh, personal issues that were coming up with with people. And I no longer had anyone to talk to. So that was it. You know, like I said, you can't go on some online forum that, you know, is learning Croatian and talk to random, hey, let's work on our Croatian. You know, it's, it's uh, not not a a widely spoken language. Um, So anyway, the, uh, I kind of, I wouldn't say lost contact, but There was a lot of things a lot of kind of darker things going on with some people at the time that that i had uh you know had a lot of good experiences with prior to and and like i said with the where are your keys thing um getting to where we're actually having conversations i felt like i was getting somewhere with it and then i was like well i'm kind of stuck now you know and i could throw some things in there but for the sake of some of the songs I don't know. I felt like um, I felt like if I did that, I'm not a native native speaker and I didn't want to force it just because I could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some places it felt really natural to put in like one, uh, the chant with uh, Tanner Anderson at the end of Lost of the Trail of the Setting Sun. We she could like uh, is kind of our rallying call. Let us be strong and do what's right. And um, that felt really appropriate there. And then there's other places that are like, am I going to just randomly start calling something in the song this this name and like, not use it any other times or something? So my goal going forward with Oto, I was like, I'm really going somewhere. I either want to do an entire thing in this language and do it properly and make sure that the grammar and stuff is right. And it's not just me stringing things along, hoping that it's correct. Mm-hmm. Or I kind of don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, as, as, as bluntly as that is, it's like, I didn't want to half-ass it. And there are some times where some things come in there and it does feel appropriate because it's something that I feel confident on that this is, uh, this is a correct terminology and I feel passionate about it. But if I'm not confident on something I'm not going to pretend that I am. And, um, it's kind of a case by case basis is, um, if I can explain this thing best in my native language, which is English, then that's what I'm going to do. So I don't know. I've been, I've been in a weird place with that because, um, whereas for a long time I felt really, uh, empowered and, um, I don't know what the, what the word would be by using, using words from the language and and being able to actually converse in it. uh, It went to almost being like sad when I'd start using those words because um, of some other things that were going on Mm -hmm. with with, uh, the group that I was close to, you know? So without going too much into that, uh, Mm -hmm. it kind of fell apart for a while. And um, so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, those those connections will get, you know, remended, re- repaired. So, yeah, uh, I hope that, I hope that answers that, but yeah. it became by the time I did the the linguistics work to make sure that everything's fine. It's kind of like the, the initial burst of creativity that gave me the song in the first place. It's like the wind gets sucked out of it. Like, well, how do I make sure that, you know, well, these lyrics have that theta symbol for the THs and stuff and mm-hmm. the, the S wedge and like, you know, make sure all this stuff is authentic. It's like, do I need to be doing all that? Or do I want to do it because I want to get better at the language by mm. getting better at the language? I feel like I'm not there. I feel like I'm, I'm pushing myself beyond my means to write in this write in some language like that even other languages I've studied. I don't think I'm competent enough in them to to write music in. But we'll see in the future. I I also over that span of time um had a lot less free time for this stuff. Um Mm -hmm. had a kid um took on about three more jobs got a master's degree um several serious relationships and such and so so busy life and I guess something's got to give at that point and studying this language uh, to the, to the degree that I was before kind of fell off a little bit, but not necessarily my songwriting. So it's one of those things to where it's always there and you can always pick it up because it's kind of like, well, I've been dormant for 200 years. I'm right here. Just speak me and you'll learn more about it. But in the meantime, are you communicating in general, you know, conveying the idea because I don't know if anybody else out there knows that language. I like to preserve this mountain dialect as much as I can. Uh, but at, at the same time, I don't know if people understand what those words mean. Some, some people would, but I think the majority of our listeners don't, don't know algic languages, you know.
2: What about the more um, sort of specific uh, cultural, geographical or historical references that, that you bring in? Uh, for instance, you do mention outside of you know using full lines, there are cultural items or concepts, which and I, I'll probably butcher these pronunciations, so apologies, but um skimota for a net or basket being unraveled that you mentioned earlier in this interview. Um mm-hmm. Kisela Makong, everything being in its place, and then there's specific place names like Kanawa. Yeah, that's
1: like that's like our general, you know, God. Yeah, Shila Makong, like this the spirit that the spirit that flows through everything, like the God universe concept. Yeah, sorry. didn't mean to interrupt oh, you.
2: No, it's all right. Um, and like you also have song titles, uh, I Can Dive at Once, which uh, seems to be from a 1909 book, "The Battle of Point Pleasant, A Battle of the Revolution by Correct. Uh, Livia Knight simpson Um, Yes. And so what's the purpose of integrating these specific references to places, cultural items, and historical events? What effect does it add to your storytelling? to link in these um, specific items, even if your listeners might not be familiar with what they mean or where they are.
1: Well, yeah, those are pretty specific or pretty obscure references.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Offenbarger's 1909 book. Yeah. That's like not on a lot of people's bookshelf next to uh, John Grisham or something. Right. Patterson. So um, Point Pleasant is where my ancestors lived in the late 1700s. And there was a, uh, a very significant battle that, in fact, I think, not to go too much into it, a lot of people consider that the first battle of the American Revolution. It was Virginia at the time. This was before West Virginia split from the big Virginia. And uh, I just visited there not too long ago to, to see some grave sites and uh, the, the battle site. That battle was, was a big deal there. Um, it was a, a huge defeat. That's where, um, uh, that's where Tecumseh's father was killed. And um, what had happened is that Cornstalk, this was a, a, another chief during that time, was um, one, one of the people involved with a treaty where... The settlers, the, the, the white settlers were supposed to stay east of the Ohio River and they were supposed to stay west of the Ohio River and everybody will get along just fine if you stay on this side of the river. Well, people don't stay on the same side of the river. They go over and they hunt or they go over here and they do this or that. Well, so if you only have a certain amount of territory to hunt and that's your main source of food and these people start coming over where they're not supposed to be, and they start shooting at you and they start killing all the animals that you need to eat to survive. Well, that causes a lot of problems and, and it pissed the Shawnee off really bad. They said, you know, we can't tolerate this. We signed this treaty to where um, they're supposed to follow these rules. We're supposed to follow these rules. Well, they're not doing that and we're not gonna take it anymore. If they come over here, we're gonna kill them. So Cornstalk comes over under a flag of peace across the river to this fort and he says, I can't control my men anymore. You need to keep your guys on this side. I come over here in peace to tell you like a warning, like I don't want this to happen. So they immediately took him prisoner and his son and, and another uh, man that came with him. And uh, they, after they were imprisoned, some people broke down the door, barged in, and just killed them in cold blood because they were Indians, not because of the purpose they were there, peaceful purpose. So, that story and that sept of Shawnee is the same sept that, or uh, the same smaller subgroup uh, that, that my family came from. So, uh, I've always been really close to that story and, and a great admirer of cornstalk. And I thought at some point I need to write a, a tribute, a eulogy type of piece for him like we did with Tecumseh and like we did with uh, Chief Logan or Tolga Yuta on the first album. And, you know, that's probably going to continue because, you know, these people deserve to have monuments, even if they're musical monuments to them. Their stories are fascinating. They're very important historical figures and they get overshadowed by people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and such. Uh, So I like to bring their stories to life. And at the same time, you got to remember, I'm writing music, I'm writing an art form. And when I research this stuff or read about it, just because I'm interested, things pop out to me as poetic. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, they're like, okay, you took me prisoner. Well, so what? I can die but once, go ahead and kill me. I'm going to die sometime. And I was like, what a badass, (laughs) like that guy was just, I don't know. I, I, it really inspired me. This guy is such a courageous leader. And now is that stuff apocryphal? Did, it, did he actually say that? I don't know. But, you know, I would think that those are based on actual interactions with people. I don't think somebody would make that up. I don't know. I could be wrong. But I thought, there it is. There's the title of the song. I can die but once. Go ahead. Bring it on. Go ahead and shoot me. You cowardly. Whatever. You know, I'm can't go anywhere. I'm trapped in here. I came over here to be a nice guy to try to help. So if this is my time to die. Well, then today's a good day to die. That's Mm. that's what I took from that. So that's where that title came from. That's why I used that. There's other things, too, that I just they just scared the crap out of me, like um, traversing the shades of death. Hmm. The Shades of Death is—that's a real thing. I think it's like a like a shopping plaza now in a Walmart. <laughs> yeah, it takes some of the the romance out of the whole story. But uh, I have a friend named James that lives out there, and when that album came out, he wrote to me and he's like, "Hey, man, like I know this place that you're talking about in this song. I live right by there. It's like a shopping center. They drained it. It was a swamp. But that was actually about a group of settlers that." in the Wyoming Valley of Pennsylvania, and they got a false alarm. Another uh, village had been attacked by Indians and somebody had said, they're coming your way. You need, you need to run. Well, they really weren't. So they fled out of fear and they got lost in the woods and they got stuck in this swamp water and they got eaten by panthers and some of the people drowned. Some people died of fear, like heart attacks and stuff. And I just pictured that in my mind. And I'm like, I got to write a song about this. <laughs> you know. So um, you store that stuff away for later. And then that song, the music for that song, that's when we, that was one of the first songs we did for heart of Akamon. When we first started that record, it was like, this is such a mess. This is such a, like this album is going to suck so bad. It's got like all these scattered parts. We can't figure out how they go together. And through some luck and magic, they ended up adding layers to it. And I was like, you know, these parts, parts of this song remind me of like um, just walking through mud, just something Mm -hmm. like that. And I remembered that story about, uh, about the shades of death, that vast swamp in Pennsylvania that these settlers got lost in because they, they fled in fear. So yeah, that's, I, I guess it's obscure historical, uh, references that I read about that I'm, I'm like I wonder how many people know this story well there's going to be at least a few more that know about it now because I'm going to write something about it at some point in my life
0: <laughs> so are those references then kind of an invitation for the listener or the lyric reader to go and do the kind of research that you yourself have done
1: yeah and it's it's happened uh more times that I can count Mm. and so like fans call- coming up and sorry you mean like like fans
2: coming up and talking to you about it
1: oh yeah and then they get they get reading about this and then they find that they can't put the books down and they're mm. like i had no idea like i never learned this in school this is amazing like this is the most interesting stuff and i'm like yeah it's this this the culture that they didn't want you to know about because they wanted white culture across america to to be predominant mm. so yeah this history is super interesting and super cool to learn about, but yeah, you're not going to learn it about it in school. You're going to learn for 12 years, how awesome, you know, the presidents were. (laughs) Yeah. Does this theme of kind of like
2: trying to keep the language alive, trying to keep stories alive. Is that also part of, um, you, you have a few songs where you have taken lyrics from elsewhere, uh, like all night may I roam is a translation of a Lakota poem uh, Pilawa is a sh- traditional shoddy song you mentioned earlier yeah. uh, in this interview sometimes where uh, that uh, the song that the, the woman remembered uh, that you now song. Yeah, uh, Pilawa, that's yeah. the same one oh the same yeah. one, okay um, so is, is it like is there any effort that goes in or or do you feel any need to like find specific poems that feel metal or is the goal here again kind of just that sort of preservation even if it's in a form that obviously the people that made these songs would never have, have ever imagined
1: uh, a little bit of both. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to read. Uh, well, I mean, I don't speak all these languages, so they're, they're almost always English translations of, of native songs, chants, poems and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, in my mind, it's, it's a tribute type of thing. I'm, I'm not trying to like um, capitalize off, off of, someone else's culture i'm like that's a beautiful poem it kind of sucks that it's in a book from over 100 years ago that has dust on it you know figuratively and literally nobody might be aware of this and it fits the the cadence or the flow of this riff that i came up with so well that you know this song that i wrote from my heart i want to dedicate to these words that i think are really powerful uh that song in particular that's one of my favorite songs ever um not just the song that we wrote for those lyrics but the the lyrics themselves Mm -hmm. there's not much there. there like in in uh quantity there's there's not a whole lot of lines there but it says so much and it's just so simplistic but meaningful at the same time Uh, It kind of sums up everybody's existence. There's daytime and then there's nighttime If you just to strip it down. Uh, Against the wind, may I roam? Um, When the owl is hooting, may I roam? Uh, At dawn, may I roam? Uh, When the crow is calling in the morning, when the crow is calling, may I roam? Like, I find whenever I'm not roaming whenever I'm not moving and growing uh, things are when things are stagnant just my, my life doesn't seem as meaningful that doesn't mean that I need to like travel and go far away all the time I, I, I think it's just like figuratively moving uh, just not not keeping the same monotony in your life constantly but but breaking it up learning new things and uh, trying things in, in new, different approaches and things. So um yeah, I, I think Andrew uh introduced that. So said the song's about never sitting still, always roaming, always, you know, trying to get better at things. And uh he summed it up really well when we played that live before. And uh yeah, I, I'm trying to think of some other examples uh where we've done that. I don't think we've done that for a while. We've mm-hmm. gone more into just all original lyrical territory. We did get some stuff from uh uh some stuff from the olam on uh the crossing on azimuths the beginning of that because I you know a lot of people have, have deemed that book false and you know fictitious and such but I thought the scenes that it portrayed were, were very inspiring and and seemed to really fit that that acoustic buildup at the beginning of the song and then you know to write uh, my own interpretation of how that story made me feel
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that was really uh crossing that bridge from pr- playing in uh previous metal bands and stuff Um uh, there's a, both, both of us were in a band called angel rust for for quite a while and uh, i wrote some songs so there's a song called totem there's a song called hammerstone and they were about uh, indigenous societies and and ancient times and things like that and i thought you know i really like to write about this stuff I'd like to do that kind of full time with the project, even if it's not metal, and like explore this more. Well, first album was all acoustic, and um, did pretty much all the parts except for one vocal part, I think, that Andrew did on there. And then uh, on the second album, we started adding metal elements, and and we were we were real nervous to do that. Like, what about the people that liked the first album? Are they gonna be like, why'd you make this metal now? <laughs> And some of the people that listen to it that like metal elements are like, yeah, it's cool until you start playing all that acoustic stuff. So that was like a really confusing album. <laughs> us, there's a bunch of different scattered ideas. Like if you sit and just listen to it for what it is, it's really cool. But if you're in the mood for a metal album, you're going to be like let down. If you're in a mood for an acoustic album, you're going to be let down. You just got to take it for what it is. And uh, that was like an essential stepping stone uh, for us to do. Um it seems like the more we integrate things within the songs, the better they work, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, rather than keeping things separated. But, um, yeah, I, I, I am highly inspired by by some of that other stuff. It's from cultures. And, uh, you know, when the brief time that we were on uh, Nordvist production in uh, northern Sweden, learning learning about Sami culture and how similar Sami culture is to Native American culture um, we learned a lot from um, from that and some of the Scandinavian bands that explored that it seemed like at the time this is a few years back people were exploring that as much if not more than people were exploring uh, American Indian culture in, in metal bands and um, I was just blown away by the similarities. Not really in language, but the similarity in lifestyle and diet and uh approach and connection with nature. It's like hmm. super similar and, and it makes me think, you know, are we related ancestrally through the north? Like people came over from Alaska, people came over the Iberian Peninsula, people came over from uh uh what's now Russia and, and Scandinavia into Greenland and then into North America. Are, are we all like the same if you go back far enough or are we all the same indigenous culture or is it just does it just make sense to live connected to nature and that's like a natural state of being that's been weeded out of us by dominant like imperialistic cultures and things like that. you know what I mean like no you will not be close to nature you will conquer nature and we have more guns and weapons. So we will be the predominant culture. And then other people who were um, part of uh, pagan cultures and stuff that were real close to the earth and real close to nature are, you know, small minorities, but they they still retain that. And uh, again, my question for you um, in Australia is, are there bands doing this that are of uh, aboriginal, australian descent in metal
0: yeah like there are some not as many as perhaps there are in the north american context um but yeah there have been like relatively recently um bands in australia and especially new zealand um there's a new zealand band um that i'd love to speak to are uh, called alien weaponry uh who oh. are a, a maori band
1: okay as well um, yeah so
0: similar they've had the
2: biggest international success yeah, i think of any absolutely. of them absolutely
1: I, they they play them on Liquid Metal all the time on Sirius mm-hmm. XM. I, I've heard them several times, and I I think I know what you're talking about. Um, for some reason I thought it was like uh, like Polynesian or something like like a, a Pacific Island type of. Well, I guess. I mean, depending it, it, like, yeah. on your perspective, Australia like, could be a. Uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm talking like Fiji, yeah, yeah. Uh, Micronesia type of area. Uh, yeah. No, they're, they're yeah, they're from New they're, Zealand.
0: Yeah, they're Maori. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an island.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's great. Um, on, a, on a big enough scope, uh, like North and South America
2: are one big island, right?
1: You know, I don't think we're I don't think we're connected to anything else, are we? No, yeah. it's a really big. It might be the world's biggest island. I don't know it might be um asia europe i don't know know, i need to be looking at a map right now yeah (sighs) really really big islands but eventually they're all going to grow back together again it's
2: all just a series of large islands
1: that we've arbitrarily attached names to as they get bigger (laughs) yeah yes
0: well, as you mentioned, you know, references to, to nature and the significance of nature for a lot of Native American cultures, um, that is certainly something that comes across very clearly in a lot of your lyrics. There's a lot of, like, repeated references to nature, in particular rivers, creeks, forests, earth uh, and sky, as well as animals like the serpent. Uh, panther, coyote, and birds. So we we're wondering, you know, what's the role of these motifs and why are they important to your lyrics uh, in terms of their connection to a lot of the kind of Shawnee and um, Lenape traditions and culture that you've discussed?
1: Well, streams, um, that, that's the big thing, uh, because those were the, the roads around here. The, the waterways with the roads is the quickest way to get from point A to point B. And a lot of them have the same names that they had a long time ago. Um, I live, in fact, I can look out my window here to my left and see the Ohio River. And that is an Indian word. Uh, it's not the Shawnee word, that was spelled with thepe, and we don't call it that, but we call it. Mississippi, the the Mississippi, um, that that retained its ancient name, and this stream flows into that one. So, um, a lot of these creeks and streams, I, I feel, are like you know the, the arteries and veins uh, of the earth, and they're the places where I like to spend the most time. If I'm not on a trip, you know, far away visiting some place that I don't normally go, or to the beach, I love to go to the beach. And I love to go to national parks and things like that. But if I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm off work today, or uh, I want to go get some fresh air, some nature time, I'm always going to one of the, the creeks around here. and My son loves to swim in them. And um, as far as the animals, those are the, the things that you're most likely to have uh, an indigenous name. Um, raven, uh, fox uh turkey deer hawk things like that and clan names as well um such as the water panther clan some of these things are the actual animal such as uh, a panther a large cat but a water panther is a more spiritual thing it's uh an underwater panther that more closely would resemble a a reptile and uh, a feathered serpent which would be flying in the sky but you know resemble something like a snake type of a, a serpent reptile reptilian type of thing and uh, this landscape is uh what used to be just covered with signs of these things um out in ohio there is what they call the alligator mound but we believe it's it's a panther and it goes uh hand in hand with with lore and again, the serpent, and you can find connections between these things with what they align to in the sky or with the sun and what they align to on things like the, the solstice, uh, how the, the sun would line up through through the eye of a serpent or through its mouth. And these things are huge. I mean, and there's a reference in, in the title track of our song, uh, The Hidden Meaning Only Seen from the Sky in the title track of our, our new record. Um, I can't stress this enough that in Ohio, there are things that would not make sense from the earth. They, would, they only make sense when you're flying above them, the aerial views. And how, how did they build them? How were these made? How are these circles so perfect? How are these hexagons? And how are these earthen walls that go for 60 miles parallel so perfectly parallel for that that distance. How did they do that? How did they line all this stuff up? And a lot of it's a mystery, and, and a lot of it is um, tribal lore, basically, that there was help from um, that came from outer space that helped them design things. And all that stuff's really inspiring because it's like, well, if that was the meaning of life back then, it must have been pretty important if you would spend a hundred years making a mound, like they estimate this, the the largest mound in North America, it's about a a 35 minute drive for me. And it's huge. I've been, I've been on top of it a bunch of times. It's called the Grave Creek Mound. And they estimate that it took a hundred years to build that thing. And it had a moat around it and stuff. And then Later cultures out in Ohio would make these earthworks that made designs and there were, they were everywhere. And a lot of them are gone now. A lot of them were mapped by Squire and Davis in in the 1800s. And I have map books of these things, but they no longer exist. They're like farms and shopping centers and cities and things like that. There's very few of them left, but the ones that are left that I've been to are like one, how did you build this? And two, Why is it an effigy of this certain animal? So if those things were that important for that long a span of time, the only reason in my mind that they're not that focused on now is because our society has shifted to be focused on money and power, fame. Uh, What else? I don't know. Clothes. (laughs) Whatever (laughs) people are like into cars. Uh, Yeah, modern culture we're not close to the earth anymore. And I guess I, you know, in truth, I want to be closer to it than I actually am because I am part of modern culture and I do have jobs and I have a kid and I have need, need to make money and stuff like that at jobs. So this is my escape. Uh, this is how I can get closer to that. Even if I'm like feeling guilty inside that that I'm not as close to it as I Mm -hmm. want to be. And I'm not going out in nature and I'm not, you know, speaking the language as much. I'm not, um, praying and giving thanks as much, you know, we're, we're all full of our things that we want to be better at. No, we're not. So this is kind of, I guess, a means of atonement that, you know, I want to be more involved. Like I want my life, to be more like that and sometimes i think you know i was born in the wrong century or something but i wasn't we all say that but yeah um this is how i stay close to it is by thinking about it and writing it and you know having these songs come out i'm like i can't wait to see what comes next that is going to turn into a song and then write something meaningful about it with these things and uh all the while, I'm I'm learning about these things too. So it gives me uh, it gives me several things. It gives me an outlet, but it's you know kind of an opportunity for me to learn about things too and get closer to it. So I think that was there another part to that?
0: No, that no I, didn't, I thought that was, yeah, yeah. that was it. Yeah,
2: yeah. When we're talking about these kind of. Um, uh, you know these these investigations. We noticed that like the way that you you paint these pictures of these things that you know you're saying that um they're important to you. These these images of nature does seem to be fairly straightforward. I mean, if we go back to the the carcass discussion, you know your lyrics are definitely easier to read than you know a carcass. Uh, I would hope you know. Well, so like the, the the you would hope, right? So the line, I think they're the future faction era carcass. Yeah, yeah I
1: think a little, a little tricky to
2: read. a little tricky, yeah. <laughs> But So you say that you would hope, right? So is this kind of a goal? Because we found that like your lyrics are fairly straightforward. Um, There aren't, you know, like lines like um, from the serpent tradition, as we've learned from the past, as has been foretold, a great serpent from the sea arrived on these shores. Uh, These words are all words that, you know, the average English reader would be able to understand, but they are kind of told in a way that uh, doesn't say match kind of day-to-day speech. And some words like foretold, abode, atop, upon, uh, do have a little bit of an archaic feel, like again, you wouldn't say, you know, it's atop the the tower. You'd probably say on top of, right? In day to day speech, um, is is this kind of a goal of yours to have something that's that's easy to access, but also has a bit of kind of a, I don't know if you call it poetic,
1: archaic feel to it,
2: or is and this kind of just what's happened?
1: Very interesting. I never really thought about that before. Um, I think that since this is the type of stuff that I read. A lot of this stuff is very old, and they do talk like that. Okay, it's archaic by nature because it's from a long time ago. That's the stuff that I'm uh, influenced by in a literary sense more so than. I mean, I love, I love Steinbeck. I, I love um, you know, like a lot of the classic authors. Maybe not super old. I don't read like Dickens and stuff like that. Nothing against it. It's just not my my thing i like slightly newer stuff when it comes to fiction you know and even even modern fiction writers too but if i'm on this subject mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff's really old and a lot of the books that i collect are super old and rare and um, you know i might have to get a re- reprint I almost said repress like it's a <laughs> a record get a repress of a new carcass album that i never had back then or something Uh, these reprints these historical things that i find um they're like they're a goldmine of of information and yeah i guess that's how they that's how they talk in those but at the same time like you, you made a good good point and and i never really like had a conscious desire to do that i guess i i don't know i don't know how i answer that i would say that when we sit and kind of proofread the lyrics if a word sounds clunky Mm -hmm. or it you know awkward i think that you know i'd i'd ask andrew his opinion and might say oh maybe maybe phrase it like this or maybe reverse the words put it in uh uh Maybe an active voice rather than a passive voice, and um, I had some, I had some professors in grad school, and this is recently. I went back to grad school in 2017, and mm. I hadn't written like papers and things in in years, and my writing sucked at first, and I, they kind of called me out on it like, oh, man, I, I need to, like, relearn how to, how to write and use proper grammar and use more sophisticated language than just, like, a text message to somebody. So uh, a top, upon things like that. I started exploring more words like that. I remember that specifically. Um, you're talking about stuff off of Akamon. That was before yeah. that time. So I think that through, yeah, writing the stuff with the split, with Panopticon and um, the stuff for Canal Black was was a little more refined because I'd been writing a lot and I'd been paying attention to the words that I was choosing a little more. But, um, yeah, that I, I don't know if I set out specifically to give a certain, uh, I don't know, literary vibe to it or something, but I don't know. It's kind of like if a band is using like, a, like an archaic font or something like an old English or mm-hmm. something for that, that look or maybe like make it look like it's printed on parchment. Mm-hmm. A lot of these uh, like pirate bands and stuff, you know, <laughs> they're not <you> going <laughs> to make it look like uh, it's like a computer font, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like digital, yeah. does it's that, not going to look like somewhere in time. It's going to be like. Feel more yeah. metal, like in a way does it feel more metal to use more archaic words? Well, yeah, a lot more metal (laughs) than saying, Dude, we were down at the beach and we saw this ship and we're like, these guys are assholes. They're going to take over our country. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) You got to like put some sort of like, uh, I don't know, poetic, poetic license to, to how you phrase it, I guess. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he it kind of does. It's it's what I would like to hear. Um, maybe going back to bolt thrower again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. I would think mm-hmm. that, you know, from their, their country of origin, it's pretty proper proper English to begin with versus, you know, I, I'm, uh, I grew up with a lot of slang English in West Virginia, where it's almost like a Pittsburgh meets Southern type of accent type of thing and uh we have our our own particular slang for things um so i don't really use that in in the music some people might like to use the slang from where they're where they're from i I think i like to be a little more i don't know proper or uh formal maybe Mm -hmm. formal is a better word than proper is is, Uh, is there something weird sorry sorry to interrupt is there something
2: weird about uh, a genre that that again is associated with you know quote unquote, low culture, right? And and the desire to be formal like this, this link between metal, which has, you know, like the, things are different now, but the Academy, you know, it's always been yeah. metal is the, uh, the. Well,
0: today I still think of it that way. Yeah. You know? Even if yeah. that's not reality, right?
2: Yeah. It's the, you know, the metals, the, the low culture, quote unquote, which I don't agree with, but that's, you know, the opinion it's, it's like, you know, it's not real. Yeah. Then, then there's this thing that metal artists keep putting these, you know, formal terms in rather than the local, well, I and mean, there, there seems to be a contrast there, right? Yeah, well,
1: regionally, you know where I'm from, mm-hmm. uh, I know, I know, country is huge everywhere in the U.S. now. But this was one of the the birthplaces of uh, country. With the the Grand Old Opry was from Capitol Music Hall down in, in Wheeling, just just below me. Um, my grandma listened to old country. I'm talking, you know, the Carters and Uh, uh, Loretta Lynn and Hank Williams and stuff like that Mm -hmm. I don't mean like the more modern country but uh, the the more informal American English of country music is like what I heard a lot and I didn't I didn't like it you know I didn't (laughs) like hearing like uh, she thinks my tractor's sexy and stuff like that so that's you know country music was a predominant thing around here and i'm like i don't want my music to be like that i want it to be a little more formal and uh, just the subject matter too i don't think you can be very slangy about about stuff like this um mm-hmm. maybe um maybe a good example of how you could would be rooster by allison chains that's a little colloquial and slangy but it's about you know it's about Vietnam. It's about a Vietnam veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way you could do it, but I don't know if the subject matter uh, that, that we're making music about would would come across well that way. Mm. Mm. Uh, but but as far as what you're saying about, uh, is it strange that there's a genre that's considered all oh, these guys are evil, devil worshipping loser type of people or something like that? Um, using this really kind of highbrow language or word choices and things like that. Yeah. That is kind of a weird. Uh, linguistic paradox, I guess you could say. Aren't we supposed to be yeah, the people that are into drugs and the devil and stuff like that. And we're, we're actually smart. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or at least
2: we're trying to look like we are. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not
1: saying that other people aren't, But I'm just saying that uh, metal lyrics in general and metal topics are Mm -hmm. some of the most intelligent things uh, for the most part that I've ever heard. And Mm. uh, yeah, I I think it's extremely intellectual.
2: Yeah. Also to kind of wheel back a little bit, uh, you mentioned um, that your partner uh, for the band uh, encouraged you to stop using passive voice and stuff. And actually wrote a question to note that you like... uh, or at least especially on the new album, there's a lot of verbs ending in "-ing," like the kind of active voice. Uh, the new album mentions rising smoke, seeing figures, crushing the neck, the sky growing dim, uh, speaking in tongues of man. Um, is this also a tendency you've noticed? Is there a reason that you, like when you tell a story, I, of course, you I can never, tell the past tense, but you seem to tell their stories as though they're happening while you're singing them. Is there you're, is that something- You're, you're talking you're, about the new record? Um, we noticed it on all of them, but the new record, especially, there's a lot of like, this is happening now sort of framing. I, I'll show you what it is. I'll show okay.
1: You is. Um, if I can find it. It's this the? It's this. The Elements, the of, elements of, st- of Style. Oh, God.
2: Okay. The Elements of Style. <laughs>
1: uh, like, this little teeny book. Uh, I had to read it in my undergrad stuff. And then I read it again and enjoyed it more the second time. I, it was assigned to me in college, mm-hmm. but I bought this again and read it um, on my own for grad school to uh, try to improve my writing. And his main thing is like, put it in the active voice. Passive voice sounds kind of lame i guess according to uh strunk so yeah i think maybe it's subconscious but i think that i took this as like this is how you're supposed to write english Mm -hmm. this this guy like this is the guide for that so i hope i was right about that i hope i didn't like make my writing worse (laughs) (laughs) but i think that that was drilled into my head early on was the passive voice doesn't sound proper or, or like it could be said better if it's mm-hmm. you know active uh and, and i mean sometimes it's sneaks away from you sometimes it's not obvious if it was like you know he sat in the chair versus the chair was sat in by him yeah like nobody's yeah. going to choose the second one but yeah. sometimes you do like a figure of speech that's passive and you know, it may not work the best for for lyrics, but then again, lyrics aren't just like literature. Sometimes they have to be twisted around to make it fit the music song. So that's like super uh, interesting to me that that you noticed that because I don't even think I ever even thought that there was a lot of. I don't look for patterns like that. I guess I don't analyze. <laughs> no, I, don't, I mean that's, so, not, yeah. that's interesting I that you did. I, I never like, thought we'd see a copy of
2: Elements of Style mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> no. A, you know. Um, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of other patterns that we saw in your lyrics is, uh, you know, we clearly saw that there's a pretty consistent use of rhyme across lyrics that you've produced, you know, stretching back from like Oto all the way to uh, yeah, your most recent uh, recent release. And yeah, if you look at some of those lyrics off Oto, you can see rhyming lyrics like, you know, as the morning sun appears, arise to begin the day uh, in its light and in its shadow, walk in a sacred way uh, off the track, Hey Hon- Um, Fast forward to your most recent release and we can observe similar patterns in lines like heads hang low, patience wearing thin, branches grow, but the sky is growing dim uh, from the opening of um, I Can Die But Once that we mentioned just before. So what would you say is the role of the rhyming then in the storytelling of your lyrics?
1: I don't know. I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna just say that like, you know, I think a poem should always rhyme. It definitely is not the case. And there's been other, you know, lyrics that we've done that, that don't. But I don't know, it just has, it has a good feel when I, when I make a good rhyme and it's not just like a, a dumb rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> like a million people have used over and over uh you know trying to think of something cliche um and I can't right now but when I come up with something that seems to fit the music it seems to actually say something with meaning and then it rhymes without cl- sounding cliche mm-hmm. I feel like I've hit a home run I mm. feel like yeah check mark that's cool and then I read it to Andrew and I gauge his reaction he's like (laughs) I like that that's really good that I know he's he'll tell me if something's stupid or if it sucks you know he'll tell me um so yeah again he's like my proofreader for this stuff and um yeah when I come up with that and it sounds good I I get really satisfied and it and it feels like it Rolls into the next one, and then I can come up with the next one really a lot, a lot easier uh, than the first one. So um, I hope I don't think about this too much and get like a complex. <laughs> Quit priming so much. Quit saying ing. <laughs> no, none, none of this is bad. None of it like this. Is, these aren't critiques. I'm just. Uh, I'm joking. No, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm just being goofy. But um, <laughs> yeah, that, those are really those are really interesting things, and and I can't tell you how flattering it it is that anybody cares. That, that <laughs> about anything that i wrote i'm you know i i never set out to do any of this stuff and and expect to, to be even talking to anybody in my town about this let alone in in australia that's pretty cool
2: oh well, yeah. glad you enjoy it yeah yeah thank you for caring about another it. thing that we uh uh noted that is that um you have uh a, a pronoun selection that's kind of changed over time um in Oto and heart of Ackerman, you often use the first-person plural we, us, and our, and occasionally he and you, but never I. Uh, conversely, though, in lyrics from Kanawa um, Kanawa Black, you use I almost exclusively with very few uses of we and us. Was this a conscious shift on the new album to speak more from the first-person perspective, assuming that
1: perspective is you, or did, again, this just kind of happen? I think it's related to an earlier question that you asked about um, uh, not using... Uh, Shawnee and Lenape words as much. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm kind of an island. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I feel like I've become a really uh, doing this stuff independently rather than as uh, part of a tribe group. And, you know, which okay. which brings some sadness, but mm-hmm. uh, doesn't uh, uh, doesn't end anything for me. It just uh, makes me feel a little more lonely. And you got to remember what Natchawin means. In the first place, is, you know, I've been kind of walking my own path with this kind of stuff for a long time, uh, sometimes with help and, and brotherhood, and uh, sometimes a little more isolated in it. So uh, that that might be one reason for that. Uh, it's definitely not conscious or intentional, mm-hmm. um, but it's very telling, you know. if I feel like it's kind of like, uh, almost like a, psychological examination of things that have been going on in my life. Like, wow. (laughs) And it's very telling. It's like, yeah, kind of personal stuff. Um, did I, I didn't realize I was even maybe revealing. Uh, it's just, yeah, like you said, just kind of came out that way. And and honestly, even thinking about it now, I didn't, I didn't even like realize that or anything, but yeah, definitely on Oto that we were pretty active group at the time. Mm -hmm we were active in the the late nineties for a good bit. And there were a lot of problems that arose. Um, And then um, kind of all those people kind of fell off the face of the earth for a while, got involved in their own things, good and bad. And uh, then I did the first two albums and then I get a message. This was on MySpace at the time, (laughs) man, you're, you're putting this music out as, as the charge when this is, this is really cool. And like, you did this and you did that. I'm like, yeah, let me send you the CDs and reading the liner notes like, wow, like you got all this from the stuff we're doing. I was like, yeah, that's highly influential to me. That's like my, my life, you know? And, um, so Oto was the third thing. So it was highly influenced by reconnecting with those people. And then the same problems crept in and I'm a little bit isolated again. And, uh, but with a lot more knowledge, mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way that I could put it. So I I guess you could kind of do uh, yeah, a diagnosis of like, you know, what's going on in this person's life that their, their lyrical approach is kind of shifting, <laughs> you know, I've studied that with other bands and stuff, but you know, it has been like, like Pink Floyd or the Beatles or something like that. You know, and you, you can, you can see definite like eras or periods in their, in their careers where, you know if you study what the band was into it was something traumatic happening or drugs happening or whatever it was that was influence in it you know so
0: hmm. so we were wondering like given that you've just said there's a connection between your phenomenal choice and what was going on in your life at different periods of time when you were writing these lyrics we were wondering as well though like when you Sing songs when you're um you know telling stories that involve I and we in the lyrics, like do you ever see yourself embedded in those stories? Like even if they're events that you're describing have happened, you know, hundreds of years ago. Well,
1: that's a great question. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um it, it's weird. There's uh you know, I, I don't know if it's in the lyrics or not, but there's a concept called laqua. It's, it's kind of like time, um, but it's like time moving sideways rather than forward and backward, which is modern society, probably like a really hard to grasp topic or, or kind of vague. Mm-hmm. they like, what's that mean? Sideways. And it, it's kind of like uh, your, your soul. I, I don't want to sound like reincarnation, nothing like that, but like your soul's energy has been involved in things very, very long ago, and will again, very, very far into the future. And sometimes some things will pop up in your life that are too much of a coincidence to be like, oh, that was just a coincidence. It's almost like a reminder of an event that you were somewhat part of at some point. I don't pretend to fully understand the concept myself. I've spent most of my life trying to uh, to grasp that the, uh, the native concept of, of LACWA. And um, so, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess that's probably the big source of the, the lyrical ideas is hearing the, the riffs and hearing the songs being put together and they're instrumental. And it's like, well, what's going on in this song? It's like, well, this particular one, I picture a young kid getting thrust into war at like 11 years old. And running down a hill in hand to hand combat with some, you know, American soldiers or or an enemy tribe or something like that. Because that stuff happened a lot. I picture that. Or uh, picture something like, um, oh, geez, what's one of the other side? Like I was talking about traversing the shades of death. This, um, you know, what would it have felt like? What would, you know, to be stuck in this in this swampy area or something, or, uh, you know, I picture, uh, the last song on, uh, Oto, uh, of a boy going into a vision quest it's not autobiographical and it's not necessarily talking about me, but I'm picturing first person view of this, you know, kid on like, like a ledge for days, like picturing these things, uh, around him and, being visited by by spirits and um, getting messages from the spirit world. So yeah, I definitely when I'm listening to the songs and coming up with the lyrics and it's starting to formulate, I'm picturing myself right there for sure. I don't know how you can write songs without being part of them. Um, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems it seems like that would be an integral part of writing a song. Is you have to connect with it somehow. Um, but I suppose some people just write songs and they, they just write songs and that's it. They're not, they're not necessarily doing any like deep yeah. Uh, yeah. immersion into the song subject or something. And well, some well, of the gore songs you've talked
2: about, you kind of hope yeah. they don't connect with it, right? Some of the wish ones? Some of the gore songs you've talked about, you kind of hope that they actually don't connect with it that much, right? Oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, and if they are, that brings up another question. Is that like purging thoughts so they don't do it in real mm-hmm. life? Or is that like a big desire to do those things? And then at some point, they're going to like hack somebody up and put them in their freezer.
2: Yeah. I mean, fortunately, our, our little metal scene here has had very few people actually murder anybody. So it seems to be more uh, perhaps purging or just having fun.
1: But that's true. there's always a chance, right? That's true. Um, there was a band. I just saw a documentary on it not too long ago, and I can't remember what they were called. The guy killed somebody. But
2: yeah, it's, it's fairly rare, mm. I think. Yeah, there's a lot more screaming about murder than actual murder, which is, you know, good.
0: <laughs> the way you want it. Really. Yeah, it's the way you want <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I, outside of historical war scenes, I, I you know, it's not something that I personally want to write about it, yeah
0: and even when you do right you don't really like talk about it in the sense of you know really gory graphic descriptions Mm -hmm. of violence right that's something we saw in your lyrics
1: yeah yeah that's true um i think it's kind of implied like Mm. i want you to come up with that in your mind and picture that like that's been one of the main goals all along is like what did it sound like smell like taste like back then versus now you know Mm -hmm. what were the the visceral qualities of of life back then and to try to somehow bring that to life in music it's not an easy task um and again back to the the metal thing it really conveys that kind of dark stuff really well doesn't it yeah because um i would like to hear some uh, some country and jazz songs about brutal murders (laughs) Nobody's gonna do that anytime soon but it would be interesting There was an
2: Australian um, comedy show that did a smooth lounge version of a Cannibal Corpse song, which I think you can check out on YouTube. And it's, uh, I wouldn't listen to a full album of it, but you know, it's it's a funny, uh, (laughs) fun concept, yeah, yeah, fun concept. Uh, I think it's Hammer Smashed Face uh, as a as a lounge track.
1: Wow. So yeah, the the thing with that album uh, is you know at least me i didn't have the original of that a friend of mine had it and i didn't have the lyrics and i couldn't tell what he was saying there was one part i thought he was saying uh coffee in your coffee (laughs) i was like i don't know what he just said maybe something in your coffin or something i said Mm. i think he just said coffee in your coffee so um yeah but years later reading that stuff and Butcher to birth and stuff is like this is pretty pretty nasty subject matter and, and there's others there's other bands too
0: mm-hmm. like that well the last topic that we wanted to address with you was, of course you know we can't not talk about um, the fact that uh, the majority of your albums and even individual songs appear in your lyric books with accompanying detailed descriptions of the cultural and historical context of the lyrics uh, for instance in the liner notes for Oto um, they explain its role uh, in Algic languages, uh, the symbolism of its symmetry in relation to the album's themes and even mention a similar term in Greek. And these are, descriptions are wonderful resources, particularly for people like us, for accessing the meaning and motivation behind the songs and an entire albums. Uh, but we were wondering, what was your motivation for writing them, given that there are so many bands out there who would just kind of leave it up to fans to um, you know, initiate their own research into the background of songs?
1: I guess this is twofold. Uh, the quick answer is I think the subject matter deserves it, and it's not that big of an endeavor to just write about it and give some background information. Um, when I first started uh, teaching at the, the college that I, I've been uh, teaching since two thousand five, I remember the the my kind of introduction out there was I did a little classical guitar performance, and one of the professors, you know as I was playing, said, you should tell us about some of the songs that you're playing. Because I was a little more shy back then. And I would just play through these classical pieces like a a Lute Sonata or something or some Spanish pieces. And I was used to playing background things in restaurants and stuff. And you just play the songs and people hang out. Well, they were actually like watching like it was a concert. And I wasn't used to that. He's like, would you tell us about some of the songs that you're playing? Because we don't know their titles. And I was like, wow, that's a that's a pretty important element of it. It's like the, you know, when you go see a, a classical recital, they always have a program, at least over here they do. They always have a program with like a little bit about the composer or like a little interesting anecdote about the the piece or whatever. So that's one part of it is that this. I think that the topics uh, deserve some some sort of um, synopsis or some sort of uh, overview of what it's about. The second thing is that um, w- for me, when I first started playing guitar beyond the basics, learning how to move my fingers and you know very rudimentary things, I thought, okay, well, these are really awesome bands that like i've got their tapes and cds and stuff and like i'm learning peace of mind i'm learning ride the lightning i'm learning seasons of the abyss and like okay now i'm going to go on to this one learn this death album learn to play it like when do i get to make my own stuff that was always the thing of like okay you've moved beyond playing other people's stuff you need to contribute your own stuff to the world well when I started reading this historical and linguistic based uh, uh, indigenous, uh, these books, when I started reading these books, I got the same feeling. Like, you need to contribute and participate in this genre. But I don't think that I'm equipped to write historical books, at least not in this stage of my life. These people are so good at it that. I don't know how I could possibly contribute something of the quality of Alan Eckert or um, some even some of these historical writers from the 1800s or these uh, people that went to different uh, reservations and, and cataloged all these language things and, and broke broke down all the grammar and stuff like how am I going to do that. So I thought I'm going to essentially write historical narratives with music. And that's how this project got its beginning. And uh, Dark Horizon Records in Indiana was putting out uh, an Abigor seven-inch, and the band Fog was one of theirs. And uh, Flouros—they were just black metal across the board—and um, heard my stuff and was like, "Look, if you put out a classical." guitar type of thing because they put out two October Falls albums that were all dark classical stuff. I was like, I'd love to do that. And he's like, we'll put it out. We would love to put this out if you would put together an album that's just you playing the classical and acoustic guitar with your dark themes and stuff. You can make it about whatever you want. So I thought, okay, cool. I could put my own album out. Like, what am I going to make this about? Well, what am I reading about every day? I want to make songs about that. So basically that first album I felt was like my historical narrative, but without the uh without it being a book. <laughs> it's <was laughs> like the the musical equivalent of of that, if that makes any sense at all. And so there's a short synopsis in that one. And then when uh we did uh this one, Azimuths. This is a much longer, much more involved album. Uh It's an hour long, I believe, or close to it. Um, We got a friend of ours to do the layout instead of just a guy in Indiana that said, here's here's what I have for you. Give me a little blurb with your thanks list. And I thought, I'm going to write an introduction to this about what the album's about. I said, you know what? Next time I'm going to take this further. And we ended up with this 16-page book. And uh, our friend James came up with these really cool designs here on his own. I didn't even say we want this or that. Came up with this like the sync face and all this and um so each song has its own uh synopsis and it would be really really weird to not do that now. Like that to me that's an integral part of the album. And I mean you can download that stuff from from a digital version of the album like I, anybody that wants that stuff, I mean, just email me. It's free. I'll send you pictures of it or whatever scans, I guess, of this stuff. But I think without the physical product, you're, you're kind of missing an element because I like to sit with a book. I don't like Kindles and ebooks and stuff like that. I've tried. It's just not me. Yeah. I've, I do have digital albums, but not everybody puts out a synopsis that comes with their album anyway. So as long as you got the cover, sometimes you're good. Um, and other people I have a Death Spell Omega album, and I swear that book with this like 64 pages or something. But I don't think there's a lot of text on it. I think it's more like designs and stuff, if I remember right. Um, yeah, and then we continued. uh Obviously, this, this one wasn't all about us. This is about Panopticon mm-hmm. too. so there's a, a you know two-sided sheet in there. We each got one side. So even though there's only four songs that we did, I wanted to make sure there was a synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if there's one on the back of that 7-inch. Here's a, a little bit of uh, when you were talking about, the Oto record earlier. Here's the original cover I drew for it. Nobody's ever seen this before. Oh, <laughs> I pulled really cool. this out of my... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's crooked. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's kind of primitive, but I wanted the cover to be a circle and, and that ended up not happening. But yeah, I've never showed that to anybody before, but it was in my... Uh, Thank you. It was Ooh. in my record cabinet. I was like, I got to leave that on the cover. Like, it's my own copy mm. that nobody else has. So um, yeah, that... That sheet that was inside there, um, I wanted to be, you know, a thank you list as well to all the the local native people uh, that have, have taught me things over the years, as well as a uh, synopsis. And I think that was one of the more detailed ones. And uh, the new one's going to have that too. I think I sent you that. Did I send you the synopsis, Canal Black? Yes. Yeah, did yeah you hilarious? did. Yeah. Okay. I thought I did. Yeah. So that's going to be, um, That's going to be a really nice uh, gatefold record. We've never done a gatefold before, and it's going to have that spot UV stuff that's uh, kind of like the, I don't know if you you know what I'm talking about. I didn't even know that term. Um, Have you ever had a book that's like, uh, this isn't an example, but let's, let's say that like the blue here, the the and the of, if they're real shiny almost like they put like a sticker type of mm. effect Okay. that's spot uv and it's gonna have that on right. certain parts of it oh um, cool yeah um The the live panopticon uh has that the uh, their live record they put out a couple years ago and um they're like this is a really cool effect you guys should should use this on on your new one and, and i was like yeah let's try it so i'm looking forward to how that package comes out and um That should be in here within a month, I think. They should be in. Takes a long time to get records in. Yeah. It's really slowed down. Yeah. Well, just kind
2: of to tie all these ideas together, um, broadly speaking, if you were to sum up, you know, the – uh Neggen's music like what would you say is the role of language and lyrics in in your music and i guess more broadly what do you think is the role of language and lyrics in metal um
1: wow well
0: it's <laughs> a big question right <laughs> it,
1: it is it is um i would say from this perspective um, there are very, very few all instrumental metal bands that, that hold my attention. And that's not meant as an insult to any of the those bands. That's probably, I don't know, maybe more telling of, of my myself. But, but there are very few. Um, like, I love that band, uh, The Chasm, I was talking about. And, and they've gone completely instrumental with the past couple records and I mean, it sounds awesome and stuff, but I, I miss the I miss the vocals as as well, and um, they're kind of like the glue for me. They're they're the thing that that holds holds the whole thing together, and that's not just for metal. Um, funny though that that I listen to like instrumental acoustic music, like fingerstyle really good finger style Celtic type guitar and stuff. And, and I'm fine. listening to that for like a long period of time. It doesn't need any words or anything. Uh, but when it comes to full band stuff. Um, yeah. I, I like to have, I like to have some lyrics as far as my own stuff. Um, you say, what is, what is the role overall yeah. of the lyrics? What's the role of lyrics? Uh, the lyrics? Language? Language. language. Yeah. Yeah. Of language. Um. I would say that early on there was a big desire to use um, these ancient, not not just necessarily modern stuff, but like mound builder language, Hittite, early Algic languages, early um, various various languages that are you know defunct now. And the frustration of trying to properly use them it just makes it really difficult to do. And um, you know, I still want to do that some more, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna need some help. I need some help from my friends from that <laughs> that thing. Because I yeah, I need to get back into that because what is what is language? It's I mean, active language is kind of something that's spoken. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff is not spoken. I, I, I mean, I'm sure, there's a lot of languages that that fall into that category that people study, but do they speak them? Um, yeah. And as a side note, you really need to check out that "Where Are Your Keys?" stuff because they're speaking these languages that have been practically dead, and they're like fluent in them. With this, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Well, but the role, yeah, the the role of language for me is. Um, you know, I hate to admit it, but it's it's kind of taken a backseat to the storytelling story storytelling and the quality of the poetic statement that I'm trying to make or mm-hmm. the story that I'm trying to tell um, the the um, message that I'm trying to get across. I'm not just trying to I don't know I think that, I'm more concerned now with, yeah, the 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 message that I'm trying to get across or the story that I'm trying to tell. So I'm relying more on the language that I know the most, which is English. I would love to add some other things in, but I think that the the themes have gotten deeper, uh, especially on this new record, and I find it harder and harder to use those languages to convey what I'm trying to do. So. The message and content is taking priority over either linguistic exploration or preservation. That's the best way I could put that, I guess. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. With other with other bands, um, or the role of, of language in in metal, like. I don't know. This is this is a weird thing, too. I ask myself this question all the time when it comes to native languages. Because most of the people I know in this country speak one language. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that I know in other countries speak like a bunch of them. <laughs> like a lot, especially my European friends can speak like five, six languages, and it's nothing. I'm like, how do you do that? You know, but it's it's really common. So, you know, in this country, only, only speaking one language, I think of a band. Again, I'll use Amorphous as an example. They're a Finnish band. Um, I love to hear Finnish spoken. I think it's a really awesome sounding language. And the case system fascinates me with it. But bands like Amorphous didn't sing in Finnish, they sang in English. And on that first record, their English was really not not perfect English. And that's not a slam. I'm bringing that up because I love the charm of how their English sung words sound on that album. I really enjoy it. I really, really highly enjoy it. And it has a charm. And I always think, what if they had sung all this stuff in Finnish? And I wouldn't have been able to understand any of the words. I would have loved it. but the fact that they made that effort to teach me about Karelia and to, to, to teach me about Finland and its history. And they reached out to me in my language, English. I hear like how hard that must have been learning a language because I don't, I don't speak any languages as fluently. And I've, I've met those guys and I talked to them in English. And I'm like, I know nothing in Finnish. You guys amaze me your, your, your grasp of of my language and I know nothing of yours. So I think it's amazing how many bands from other country, other non-English speaking countries that I grew up listening to. And I love when they sing in their native language. And I love when they make, you know, this effort that they didn't have to do. They didn't have to do their music in English, but I can understand what their place is about because I don't speak their language that amazes me. Um, yeah, and, and and I I do have to say I've had a lot of people reach out to me uh, with with some of the uh, the native languages used on our records that they have um, interest uh, appreciation questions about it uh, maybe connections that they have to something with it and um, above all this is kind of like a little side note to your question Wes but. I, um, from the very beginning, I said that, that my role of this, since I can't really write books, or at least I've, I've never gotten anywhere with that, and I'm just going to make like albums that are the, the equivalent of that in, in some way. And the synopsis that's written in there will be kind of my, uh, my explanation for things rather than just like a whole written book. I wanted to connect with people that knew more than I did that might know more about Point Pleasant and this area of Mason County, West Virginia, uh, where my ancestors are from. And then even before that, when they were in the Laurel Highlands oh, yeah. of, of Pennsylvania. And I thought, you know, this would be really cool. if Dark Horizon puts this first record out and we maybe get it into a museum shop gift shop or something like that, or Maybe I could go to somebody's book signing that's writing one of these historic books, and um, you know, play my music in the background or something. It's grown to so much more than that, and I've had so many conversations with people in all these like tons of countries and tons of different areas of the United States. I'm like, I never thought it would turn into that, Uh, but that's still the the mission for us is that we want to spark conversations uh, uh you know we're, we're not like these big this isn't all about social justice or political correctness or, or philanthropy or anything it's about knowledge it's about like we lost some stuff like we want it back w- what are these details that, that we lost and Uh, We're not happy about why it was lost, but we can't really do anything about that. But maybe we can do something about getting it back. So I think that's one of the big roles of this, you know, of language with us Mm -hmm. is to spark that conversation, you know. So, um, yeah. Sorry, that was kind of a stream of consciousness thing there, but. Absolutely! Absolutely. Great Everything, way to wrap
0: up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's always interesting that
1: these
2: these stories are preserved and um, mm. something it is so you know modern and and different uh, something that you know would not be recognized by the people telling these stories. But um it's just you know, it's cool that there's uh, something like metal out there that that can preserve stories. You know,
1: it, it is. It is. Uh, the The first live thing that I ever did with this was uh, Heathen Crusade three in uh, Saint Paul, Minnesota. This was back in 2008, and it was just me playing acoustic in between the, you know, what, who did they have? Ancient Rites was there, mm-hmm. Wolves of, or uh, sorry, Woods of Ypres. And uh, there, there's like tons of really good bands there. And one of them was Metsitol. I don't know if you know Metsitol from uh, Estonia. And the dude had a cannel. It's like this handmade instrument from 4,000 years ago. Uh, well, not the, the design was. Not yeah. His yeah, 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 built, yeah, yeah. He built one. He had things. They were like bagpipes, basically, that, that he made. And they played all these traditional instruments on stage along with metal instruments. And I was like, that could turn out really bad, potentially. They were excellent. They were amazing in how they incorporated their traditional East, Estonian culture. And I'm not talking Soviet Estonia. I'm talking... Estonia itself and I had a conversation with uh with that guy afterwards and and I learned a lot about Estonia just through uh through a simple conversation whereas you know I don't know of any other scenes that are like that you know not to pick on pop or country or whatever but I've never gone well I don't really go to festivals (laughs) for that kind of stuff but if I did I don't think I'm going to meet somebody from Estonia playing in a band playing ancient instruments and telling me about his culture. Um, It's metal is an amazing vehicle for, uh, I think a lot of us are huge nerds about history and Mm. when things were cool. And when, you know, when you could cut someone's head off with an ax, kind of in (laughs) love with those eras and uh, the brutality of how things used to be. And, you know, a lot of people think, you know, life can be uh superficial nowadays and things were real back then you know we lived off the land and um whatever it is i mean i would think that's why viking metal is so popular people really latch on to that because Mm. there's a historic element there's like a badass element there's a um you know the look of, of of that culture everything is is really um appealing i think there was that whole documentary series the viking series yeah, yeah. right Mm. and so there's a lot of bands you know and i think the first one i heard was unleashed um that those riffs were those chugging riffs remind me of like a viking longship you know Mm. so i didn't really necessarily know of any uh Counterparts of that of, of all other cultures, but uh, mm. like uh, would you say alien weaponry? weaponry Maori, Maori yeah. culture. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Yeah. yeah, cool. So they represent. That's that's pretty awesome. So mm. that's what I'd like to do for this area as well. Um, it's very specific geographical region with a with a weird and dark history. So I, as I suppose what we'll continue to do, but I think along the way, we're getting a little more philosophical with lyrics to, you know, if you compare like the crossing on azimuths to like across the divide from the new record, there's kind of a, kind of a night and day difference from, uh, you know, a uh, historical perspective to like just the philosophical universal uh, message or whatever of wandering and, you know, making peace with where you're going. For sure. All right. Well, so the new album is coming
2: out uh, quite soon. I'll, I believe actually, it'll probably be out uh, before this interview comes out, I think, right? When's the, when's the drop date for the new one?
1: <laughs> Release date is Friday, May 13th.
2: Okay. Oh, just which about be, the same, a similar time then, yeah. Which hmm. I
1: believe will be Saturday, May
2: 14th. For you. Yes, 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 indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if people want to check out more of your band, uh, more of the projects, where's the best place for them to go?
1: Uh, probably our our bandcamp page. It's uh you can just go to nichachwan.com and it'll take you there to the bandcamp page. And uh, we have all of our stuff on there that can be uh purchased digitally and um the digital stuff. Is great, But like I said, we have these nice booklets and things with our records. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm sold out of a lot of stock right now. Um, we're getting to the point to where some of this stuff needs repressed, which isn't a bad thing. It's the, kind of the first time in my life I can say that. Uh, we have a handful of some CDs, some Azimuth CDs right now, but I'm almost out of most of our CDs and most of our records. There is, um, I'm being told, uh, repressive of heart of Aquaman on vinyl coming soon. And by soon, I mean out there soon and then wait for however long that wait is going to be. So hopefully that wait will, uh, be getting smaller and smaller as we get out of pandemic times. I hope. I hope. Yeah. And, uh, I'm being told a, uh, First time ever issue on vinyl of Azimuths, which would have to be a a double LP because it's about an hour long. So that's pretty exciting stuff to have coming out. And I'm writing some things now, trying to find the time right now to get some songs together. Doing a lot of teaching work right now. And uh, looking forward to some time over the summer where I can dig into that a little more and uh, get some, some new ideas out for all of you to listen to sounds great
0: awesome yeah yeah
1: we will also be at fire in the mountains in wyoming this july oh, okay you know, that, that thing uh is like a symposium kind of thing uh enslaved is doing a big uh viking uh i, I apologize I don't, I don't know a whole lot about the subject but they're gonna do like a historical cultural presentation and there's a, a lot of um, involvement with like healthy food and uh, activities art things like that it's not just bands but uh, there's some uh, some great bands playing at this one so if you are I guess you don't have to be in the area. If you're interested in it, fly to Wyoming. <laughs> we'll, we'll play an acoustic set there because we, we do not have a live metal lineup at this time. And, um, I don't know in the future if we will or not It's something we've kicked around, but I'd rather focus more on, uh, making records. It already takes us years to do that. So hopefully I can speed that up in the future.
0: Right. And so where's the best place to, uh, link our fans to find information on that and your releases um
1: i don't know (laughs) that's horrible (laughs) i should know that i should know that yeah we have our band camp page that has that stuff like it has all the albums you could at least hear digitally yeah Uh, the bindroon website has a lot of stuff Recordings.com. And then, you know, for more informal type of stuff, our Instagram page is just the okay. chosh1wv.
0: Okay, cool, great. Yeah, right. are those our, the uh,
1: yeah, we had this discussion the other day. Uh, when we met up, I was like, How, how important do you think it is for a band to have a website? And I don't know if I have an answer to that. It seems like, <laughs> you know, how how often maybe you go because you study this stuff in depth, maybe you go to bands. Websites often. I do not. I think I was on Voivod's website the other day, and that was the first one I was on in years. I think I usually go to a Bandcamp page or uh, what's that thing? Metal Archives, I guess. Yeah. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. I think it's the same for us. Maybe like at least for yeah. a first point of call, Bandcamp yeah. and Metal Archives or Metal Kingdom have been very useful. Yeah, it's nice to
2: see a, a web page at least has like yeah, a sure. collection of all the links and stuff like that. Like even if uh, I've seen people's websites that's literally just like here's links to all of our stuff. At the end, and it's like all right, well,
1: at least everything's enough. there. Yeah. yeah, thanks for that. that yeah, no, no, no. I mean, good. literally, thanks for that. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, I don't yeah. have to find it all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's hilarious. cool i would like to have all these uh, you know album uh synopsis synopses is that plural Synopses, synopsis yeah. um <laughs> up in in one one page that would in one place that would be mm. really cool um i'm just i'm really lazy with that kind of stuff to be honest um getting those things together i'm like yeah. I, i'll make i'll write the songs and make the album and somebody else do the the, like technology stuff that's you know i need to get uh i guess more more educated on how to how to do that stuff so but yeah there are other things out there and i think most people are going to like a band camp page to check it out and you know it's one-stop shopping okay here's here's what albums they have i like the sound of this i'm gonna buy it that kind of thing so maybe uh someday we'll have our own site <laughs> well cool thank you so much for yeah. uh for
2: your time i really, really appreciate it yeah, it was it. great yeah
1: yes thank you for having me and uh for for reaching out to me in the first place cool yeah. well good uh, best of luck with with what you're doing i think this is amazing it's a really great angle um i will throw this one last thing out there um i know there's a, a million different is this this is youtube uh, no, this is well. This well, is. I know this is Zoom now, but I mean, you. This is for a YouTube. So station?
2: it's uh, no, it's it's a podcast Channel? on um, primarily Podbean and Spotify. Um, okay. We do have video. We do have audio on YouTube as well, um, but we update those later. Like we kind of do like dumps every few months. We dump a bunch of episodes on YouTube, but there's no vi- okay. there's no visuals, so it's all audio. Yeah, although I
0: was thinking maybe for this particular episode, we might consider releasing the, the video just because there's a lot of like visual references. Ah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't mind. Uh, no, what, whatever. Not at all. I, I assumed this was a, a video like a YouTube type of thing. Um, the reason I'm bringing it up is uh, our, our label guy and uh, my, my good friend Marty Ritkinen has a show called Heavy Metallurgy on YouTube. Okay. And I highly recommend it. They're very Ooh. active. It's very entertaining. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, they're just like a good duo and um, they have a lot of really good guests. They have Austin lawn King Fowley from deceased. Um, they've had uh, they've had me on there. They've had Andrew on there and uh, just a, a huge list of people. And a lot of the writers from metal maniacs, uh, I don't think they had that in Australia. I don't know if it was distributed over there, but that was my so. my reading of choice growing. That's how I learned mm-hmm. about a lot of this stuff. So if you get a chance, check out Heavy, Mer- Heavy Metallurgy on YouTube. Okay. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And uh, I, th- I think you'd enjoy that show. I think it's All really, right. really good. And, and uh, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. So enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. And uh, thanks again so much for for giving me uh, the opportunity to speak. And I I mean, I can't tell you how much that means to me with the writing and stuff and the language choices and that you've paid that much attention to it. It's just like it's very flattering to me. So I, I really, you know, from from here. Thank you for that.
2: It really means a cool. lot we're glad to hear it. thanks yeah. for taking the time to like let's really. give us everything to do that investigation it means yeah, yeah we really appreciate, appreciate the access you gave us yeah, yeah. we appreciate oh, yeah. you helping yourself up
1: a- absolutely and uh and uh yeah reach out anytime uh keep in touch mm. and uh, i'll be talking to you sometime soon about the your broadcast here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. wonderful okay. thanks Thank you. a lot take care okay thanks, care. thanks. bye bye now.
0: Thank you for listening to Lingua Rutalica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kula Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging.